Let's pray and let's get into tonight's study. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher of all truth, that has guided us through our series in this book. And Father, as we bring everything to an end, we ask for clarity, we ask for understanding. Most importantly, we pray that may we be able to practically apply everything that we've heard and that of a truth the world will know us by our joy, by our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today is our final installment and we wrap up. Uh, we've looked at the definition of joy. Uh, when you look at joy from the Greek, um, joy means cheer, calm, delight, right? So joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And we went ahead to explain that. Uh, we looked at joy, um, how different it is from happiness. And we looked at three important things that distinguishes joy and happiness. We realized that happiness is dependent on the happenings around you. Joy is independent of all happenings and factors. See, someone could be sad right now because the person watched the news. You know, you are listening to the Russo-Ukraine divide, uh, which has become a war, which potentially could become World War III. Maybe you are looking at the stocks and what the financial experts are saying that uh, we could enter into another Great Depression, so to speak. Uh, a whole lot of things. Happiness. So for you to experience happiness, it depends on your happenings around you, but joy is independent of that. Look, irrespective of what is happening, I choose to be happy. I choose to be joyful. Amen. We looked at happiness as an emotion. Joy is bigger than an emotion. It's a virtue. It's a godly attribute. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, happiness is temporal. Joy is a state of being. And the main character of our study, which has been Paul in the book of Philippians, we've seen that he shifted from uh, happiness, which is emotional and which can be temporary, to joy being a state of being. And that's why he was able to have that sort of composure, even though he was under very harsh and very rigid circumstances. We looked at some truths on joy. We said that Christian joy can be experienced in the midst of adverse circumstances, such as suffering, persecution, and the like. Paul had joy, even though he was imprisoned in a dingy cell. He had joy. You know, so having joy doesn't mean that you are not going to go through stuff. It doesn't mean that you are not going to go through hard times. It just means that in the midst of it all, you can still maintain that calmness, that cheer, that delight in the Lord. Uh, joy is also not laughing out loud. Uh, LOL. It's not cackling laughter. Uh, joy is a state of positive assurance and confidence in the Lord. It's very important to know that. We are not saying if you are not joyful, you will not smile. We are not saying if you are not joyful, you will not have cackling laughter. But you can't reduce joy to that. Joy is 
a state of positive assurance and confidence. And, and that's what we saw. Paul had a lot of confidence, especially if you read the, the whole of chapter one, which we dealt with. He had the state of positive assurance and confidence. Uh, he didn't care how the verdict will play out, whether he will be a free man or whether he is going to be executed to death. Irrespective, he still maintained his assurance and, 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 and positive confidence in the Lord that it, it will pan out to be the way it is. Amen. Joy, number three, joy also involves an eager expectation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was prominently featured in chapter three. You can't tell me that you have experienced Christian joy when you are not excited at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I did talk about that in our John series. I opened it up with the great hope. You know, that's the great hope. We are happy. We will get to spend eternity with him at the end of this age. We will get to be in the dwelling place of God, the dwell which has been promised to us. That is something that should make us excited. But there are some Christians where you mention that their heart skips a beat, they become very fearful. Um, they begin to have all sorts of reactions, you know. And it, it, it might mean that joy is not being made perfect. That is a telltale sign. And like I've used myself as a nurse and I at first when I heard that, look, Christ is coming. It wasn't something I looked forward to. It wasn't something I was excited about. It felt like, wow, what sort of news? I mean, even though I was a Christian and everything, it meant that joy was not made perfect in me. That's all. When joy becomes perfect in you, then you will be able to be in eager anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Amen. Then number four, we said that joy comes from fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen. So the source of joy comes from relationship. It's communion. It's relationship. Religion will not make you joyful. It will not. It comes from relationship. And, you know, Paul has experienced the two spectra, right? His first spectrum, he was religious. He was a Pharisee. His second spectrum or his last spectrum was he was a believer in Christ relationship. It's very different. And Paul even attested to his religious past in Philippians chapter 3 that despite me coming from the tribe of Benjamin and being a Hebrew of Hebrews and concerning the law, I was a Pharisee and I had a lot of zeal, he still didn't have true joy. He didn't. That is why when you read Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, a common phrase there, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Paul could never say that when he was religious. But when he moved to the other spectrum of being a believer in Christ, that was where he experienced true joy. And today there are some believers who are not experiencing true joy because they have made this Christian experience a religious experience instead of graduating it from a religious experience into a relationship where we have fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's there that you will 
experience joy. So that is the source of joy. The source of joy is relationship. That is the source of joy. So if you don't have that, you will never be able to experience true Christian joy, and then you will not be able to know the features of joy. So in between the chapters, that's from chapters 1 to 4, we have looked at various features of joy, and all that helps us to know in the natural what real joy is. We've talked about when you are joyful, you pray. You have a prayerful life. When you are joyful, you are grateful. We talked about when you are joyful, you endeavor. And I like using the Ephesians version, Ephesians 4.3, I'm sorry. You endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That means you don't promote factions, you don't promote divisions. When you are joyful, you don't gossip. Gossip is one of the sources of strife and division. When you are joyful, you are not a backbiter. Joyful people are bold people. They are not cowards. If you have something, say it to my face. All right? Don't just, you know, um, be a backbiter or just be plastic. That's not, that's not a sign of joy. Because the sign of joy is that I try to keep the unity of the spirits among the brethren. And anything that is going to promote faction, you decease from that. Amen. And we, we talked about joy. Like in Philippians chapter 3, we spent a great deal of time there where it talks about Paul who was striving to know Christ, to understand the power of his resurrection, that he wanted to be a fellow partaker of Christ's sufferings, and he was conformed to his death. That's new creation. Amen. And as I even spout off these verses, uh, get ready for our presiding bishop's books. It's been launched. He's written six books concerning these very topics. Amen. So I believe that when the books become available, I will I'll let you know the titles in total. Amen. And joy. You know, in chapter three, Paul says that I'm going to heaven. That's all that I strive for. Amen. So Apostle Paul, who had joy, was able to reconcile two feuding parties. Well, the, the truth is we don't know the end of Eudoya and Sintike, but I want to believe and I want to hope that they did make up. Amen. When you are joyful, you are gentle. We've spoken about that. Gentleness means to be fair and to be fair or meekness, or moderation. Amen. So we've talked about all that. So now, we are on the last few verses. We are on verse 14 to verse 23, and today we'll wrap up. Amen. So before that, does anybody have any question on anything we've talked about so far? I'm just going to wrap up now. We have nine more verses, and then we are done with the book of Philippians. Amen. A lot has been said in the 11 installments, so I advise you to just uh, do well to listen and then refresh your memory. And uh, I, the, the more you listen, the more you expose yourself to revelation of the, 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 the Lord's word. And what you understand, you will have the propensity to apply. 
Amen. That, that's, that's the most important thing about Bible study. Bible study, we don't just come to receive knowledge. That's just one goal. But the end goal of Bible study is that what we receive, we apply it to our lives so that we can grow in the image of Christ. And that's how you become influential. You become influential, it starts with Christ being seen in your life before you can extend Christ to other people. Amen. All right, so let's read verse 14 to 23. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Amen. So Paul is commending the Philippian church. The Philippian church is also known as the Macedonian church. Now, if you really look into the history of the Philippian church, they were not really a wealthy church, all right? <clears throat> they were not as, you know, wealthy. Let, let, let me forget wealthy. Let me just say rich, all right? They, they, because, because there were pockets of rich people in churches during Paul's day that supported the church. So I won't even want, no one to use the word wealthy, all right? But... They were not, they were not, they, 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 it was not a rich church. It was a very common church. Very, very common. All right. Common with very ordinary people, you know, but they just gave. That's one thing you have to note about the Philippian church. There were, there were churches that were richer, bigger, and more influential than the Philippian church. One church was the Church of Jerusalem. That was the first church. It was a large church. It was a rich church. You know, you had men of renown who joined the church, who supported the church. But even if you look down in history, the church of Jerusalem became very poor. It became very poor because of famine that happened. And that famine was prophesied by Agabus, right? So as a result of that, the church became very impoverished. History as a dad, the church of Jerusalem became very impoverished, all right? And one of the churches that sent aid to the church of Jerusalem was the Philippian church. And the Philippian church were not, like I said, a church of renown. You look at a church like Ephesus. Ephesus was also a rich church, you know? So when you read the book of Ephesians, you know, the Ephesians, they were rich. But, but... They, I wouldn't say they gave like the Philippian church. Because the Philippian church, I believe they operated in a different grace, and it's called the grace of giving. Amen. So let me show it to you in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Um, 
Paul is going to talk about certain gifts that have been given to the body of Christ. So let me start from verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, for let us use them. So Paul is going to mention seven gifts. All these are also called spiritual gifts. Amen. So prophecy, that's a gift. Do prophesy in proportion to your faith. Ministry, that's also a gift. Other versions say service. Ministry and service is just the same. That's also a gift. Let's use it in our ministry. Teaching. He who teaches, teach. He who exhorts, exhorts. Another word for exhorts is encourage. There are some people who are great encouragers. One person was called Barnabas. That was not even his name. That was his nickname. It was his nickname because he was someone who could encourage people or consolate people. Amen. Uh, he who gives with liberality, who, who leads, so leadership, that's a gift. And then mercy, that's also a gift. So this Philippian church, I would say they really abound in, in the gift or in the grace of giving. Paul gave a, a testimony of these people in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And it will do well for us to look at it. Amen. I just want to buttress on some few points before I come back to Philippians chapter 4. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In fact, the whole 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are very uh, inter interwoven. Because they all talk about giving. And when Paul is talking about giving, one of the best models he had to use was the Church of Macedonia. Amen. So let me start from verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So the Church of Macedonia, like I said, is the same as the church of the Philippians. Philippi is a city in Macedonia. So that was the prominent church there, right? So when Paul is talking about Macedonia, he's also talking about Philippi, amen. So the grace of God, what, what was the grace of God that was upon the churches of Macedonia? Read on. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. You see it? So when the Bible is talking about the grace of God here, it's talking about the Philippian church. They excelled in their gifts. You know, charis and gifts, they come from the same word. And what was their gifts? They abounded in the gifts or in the grace of giving, liberality. And Paul was talking about their states. They, they were deeply impoverished. 
For I bear witness that according to the ability, yes, and beyond the ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you are bound in everything, in faith, in speech, in indigenous, and in your love for us, see that you also are bound in this grace also. So Paul is actually using the church to encourage the Corinthians. Now, look at them. They are very poor, deeply impoverished, but they gave. And notice that they didn't just give out of their substance. They also gave themselves willingly to serve. They were devoted. And that will be one of the reasons why Paul loved the church. Paul did not love this church because of they were wealthy or they were rich. I mean, these people are poor. How much can they really give you? I understand. So, so Paul had a relationship with them, not because of any ulterior motive. You know, you can be friends with a rich person with an ulterior motive because you want something out of him. You can also be friends with somebody who is without, also with an ulterior motive. Because people who are without are the most vulnerable. And when they are vulnerable, you can easily manipulate them. And this was not the reason why Paul related to them. I think the way they behaved really ministered to Paul. These are people without. And like I said, there were churches like Ephesus, churches like um, the Jerusalem church, and even the Corinthian church, who had more than the Philippian church. But the Philippian church, they abounded in the grace of giving or in the grace of liberality. That was why they gave to Paul. They didn't give to Paul because they had so much money. They gave to Paul because they abounded in the grace of liberality that they even overlooked their current predicaments and they will give to support the man. And that's why Paul is talking about them here. That even when I went to Thessalonica, you people sent me aid twice. These are people who are poor. You see, these people, they were not manipulated. They were not forced. Because Paul also says something in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that give and give willingly. Don't give out of compulsion. This is what Apostle Paul says. Acceptable giving is not out of compulsion. Acceptable giving is out of willingness. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's why in ICC, whatever we say is offering time, we will say it's joy time. It's joy time because it's willingly. It's out of cheer. Nobody has to come and manipulate you and come and put some sort of a Ponzi schemes type style. You know, we don't really believe in that. If you will give, God bless you. If you will not give to bless you too. But we want people who will give willingly. Nobody will put a gun to your head. So these, these people, they gave out of necessity because of the grace in which they abounded, not because someone was forcing them. 
they were not manipulated or they were not hypnotized, but they abounded in the grace of giving. And these people supported Paul. So one of the things I really learned here is Paul loved them for who they are. He didn't love them because of what he would get from them. How much will you get from a poor person? I really don't think it's so much about the amounts, but it's so much about the attitude, the devotion to the things of God that ministers to Paul. Not so much about money. Because if it was really about money, he could have really related more with the efficient church because the efficient church was rich. The efficient church was rich. Very rich. Even if you read Revelation chapter 2, it says it. They, they are rich. They are, they are, it's just a rich church. But, but, but Paul doesn't relate like that. So one of the things I learned even from the relationship between Paul and the Philippian church is our relationship with people has to be very pure. And it can be so when you have the fruit of joy. Everything that we are doing in Philippians, some way or one another, you can link it to joy. It's the presence of joy that will let you relate well with people. You can relate well with poor people. Not because they are vulnerable and you can easily take advantage over. They are poor people are vulnerable people and you can easily take advantage over them. But Paul didn't do that. Paul is very clever, very smart, very intelligent, very educated. He could easily take over these people who were vulnerable, but he didn't. These were people who looked up to him as a teacher, but he taught them the word of God in truth. He, he, didn't, he didn't cheat them. Are you understanding me? And he also didn't relate to the Philippian church because it was a rich church, because it wasn't. So let our motives for relationships be very pure. And that can happen when the fruit of the... That's why it's this Philippian book. For us to understand it carefully, read it from chapter 1. It, it opens it up straight with joy. When you have joy, your relationships are devoid of ulterior motives. Amen. But, but we can learn this from the Macedonian church that nothing is too small to be a blessing. This Philippian church was a blessing. It wasn't because they were rich. They might not be as influential as the Jerusalem church. They might not as be as rich as the Ephesian church. They might not even be as rich as the Corinthian church. But hey, we too, we have something. We can give something. Some of you, God will put you in a position to be a blessing, but you discount your $5. You are saying it's not 10 do you think God does also doesn't know maths? He knows it's not $10. It's just $5. But if God is impressing upon you to give it to somebody as a blessing, obey God. So I also like the Philippian church that they also don't discount their giving. They don't discount the amount of their offering. They believe that they will be a blessing regardless of the amounts. And I like Paul's attitude. Regardless of how much you give him, whether it's $5, it's $10, it's $100, he will say thank you. 
a joyful person is a grateful. We, we said that in our previous studies. When you are joyful, you are grateful. And we've talked about contentment. When you are joyful too, you are content. Because truth be told, sometimes too, you can bless some people and they are not content. You bless them, then they'll say, oh, this small thing. You bless them, they'll say, oh, this cheap thing. You have to be content. You have to learn to be content. And Paul was content. Honestly, when I read this story, I truly believe the money was not so much. I truly believe. But with the attitude with which Paul received, it was because he had an attitude of joy. Let's be grateful. Somebody may not be able to even buy you a gift. All he can say on your birthday is right on your wall. Happy birthday. Be content. Just be content. Okay, I know you bought him a shoe. So maybe you are expecting some sort of gift in return. He, he might not have it. It's not that he is wicked. Genuinely, he might not have money. How will you know? All he can do is just write on your Facebook wall or send you a WhatsApp message, happy birthday. Be content. So I like that Paul is content. Well, sometimes if you don't take care, you'll be complaining. These people, look at how I suffered. Uh, I was beaten with Silas. This church, we struggled with, with, with our tears. We built this church on, the, on, on our backs with blood. And is this how they repaid? You know, Paul could have done all these complaints. Because I truly believe that the offering they gave to Paul is not really a substantial offering. But the heart with which they gave the offering is what ministered to Paul. I truly believe so. Amen. Verse 17. Paul says something. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruits that abounds to your accounts. So Paul, Paul, Paul is talking out of contentment. You see, a casual reading of this, you may think that Paul is being proud. No, he's not being proud. He's speaking out of a very contented heart. Mind you, last two weeks, we did verse 13. Paul says, I can do, excuse me, all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what are the all things here? The all things here is, I know how to abase. I know how to abound. I know how to suffer in hunger. And I know how to live in pleasure. You see, Paul knows how to do this. These are the all things Paul is talking about. He knows how to obey. So when Paul goes ahead to say in verse 17, not that I seek a gift. Paul is saying that it's, it's not for me. Don't, forget about me. Don't think that you are being a blessing to me, be, uh, to me, but you are also being a blessing to yourself by giving. Because when you sow, you will reap. When you give, you will receive. I am looking at the fruits in your accounts. Thank you for giving to me, but I am content. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I know how to abase. I know how to abound. I know how to live in hunger. I know how to live in pleasure. I don't seek the gifts. But it is to your advantage that fruits will abound in your accounts. Fellow believer, listen to me. 
whenever you give, fruit is going to abound to your accounts. Scripture says so. When you give, you receive. When you sow, you reap. When you plant, you will harvest. Genesis 8.22. Let's read Genesis 8.22. God gave a very important law to Noah after the floods dried. Where Noah built an altar. This was what God told Noah. I don't want to get into the story of Noah. Otherwise, time will be against me. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Now, the immediate context of this scripture is talking about crops. Immediate context. Are you understanding me? So what God is telling Noah is that on this earth, when you plant on this earth, literally, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, the weather, winter and summer, seasons, seasons of the year, day and night, how the world revolves around that, it will never cease. Never. That's a principle. And God's word has stood true. From the days of Noah till now, when you plant, you reap. In America, November is known as harvest month. That's why November, it always has this orange, orangey feeling, right? You know, the, everything I see is orange because it's about harvests. That's where the origins of thanksgiving actually comes from. It's thanksgiving to thank God for the harvest of our crops because once upon a time, America was an agrarian society, right? So that is true. It, it, it's never ceased. Cold and heat. There are seasons we become cold, seasons we become hot. Winter and summer. These things have not seen day and night. As I'm speaking to you now, some few hours ago it was day and now it's night. Those things shall never cease. It's a principle. The earth is governed by these things. And in that same vein, Apostle Paul gave a very important principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And like I said, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are interwoven. So it's good to read those scriptures to understand. Because when Paul was writing about giving and receiving, he didn't just end in chapter 8. He continued in chapter 9. So look at chapter 9. Let me start from verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, 
will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, what sort of sowing and reaping is Apostle Paul talking here? Is he talking in the same context as what God told Noah? No. Because when you read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, it's in the context of giving. It's not really talking about crops. Are you understanding me? He's talking more about giving. So now he's using this as a figurative expression. What we read in Genesis chapter 8 is a literal expression of seed time and harvest. Literal. That's if you plant an orange seed, you will harvest an orange fruit. Now, what Apostle Paul is talking here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is figurative. When you sow, as in when you sow money, when you give to bless the saints, when you give to feather the work of God, when you give to uh, bless your neighbor, when you sow, the Bible lets us know you will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Right? So that, that's New Testament given. When you are given in your heart, purpose what you want to give it. So your giving should not be erratic. It should be thought out. It should be carefully calculated. It should be planned. You don't give at the spare of the moment. Think about it. Purpose it in your heart. Don't give gradually. And don't give of necessity. Necessity means it shouldn't be by force. Christian giving, we don't force people to give. We don't, we don't force people to give. I don't need to call people to give testimonies before you will give. I'm not going to force you. That, that's what the Bible says. Of necessity. It's not compulsory. Don't also give grudgingly. If you are going to give, please keep it. Keep the money. Use the money to buy a happy meal. Don't give gradually. Grudge giving is not a blessing. Amen. Now look at it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor his righteousness endure forever. And I wouldn't even want to go into verse 10. So you see that right here when Apostle Paul is talking about sowing and reaping, he is actually referring to the giver. Are you understanding me? So the Bible lets us know that whenever we give, it's a promise, it's an assurance. When we give, fruits will abound to our accounts. Amen. Now, let's continue. Verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was one of Paul's uh, workers. You know, he worked with Paul in the ministry, a co-laborer. So <clears throat> what happened was that it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was the church that gave the offering to Epaphroditus and then Epaphroditus gave the offering to Paul. All right. And Paul says that the thing sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. 
Why is the aroma a sweet smelling? It's 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 given willingly and cheerfully and joyfully. Paul could sense the love. The Paul is not talking about size of the offering. He's talking about the attitude. The attitude with which we give an offering makes the offering sweet smelling. The attitude. We should, we should give purposefully out of our hearts. It should be carefully thought, well planned. You don't give erratically. It's thought out. It, it, now, these people loved Paul. Like Paul is in prison. What can we give? They, they thought of it. And they didn't have much, mind you. It's not about the bigness or the muchness of the offering. It's the attitude that the thought counts. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's acceptable and it's well-pleasing to God. And I just like Paul's attitude and how he receives an offering. Whether it's big or it's small. There are some of us, we have learned to receive big offerings, but we have not learned to receive small offerings. Okay, the small offering might not even fill your tank, but still be grateful. Be grateful. Be grateful. I've preached in different churches. Different churches. Preached in some huge churches. They've given me large offerings. I've preached in some churches. They, 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 not so large. I've preached in some churches too. None. But in all, learn to be grateful. Learn to be grateful. And I like Apostle Paul's attitude. Apostle Paul's attitude shows that he wasn't in the ministry for money. And when we are believers, we should be very careful to not let money be the driving force or the driving factor behind what we do. Otherwise, we can't receive well. We can't receive well. I was about love these people. You can't do this if you are not joyful. That's, that's my whole point I'm trying to say. If you are not joyful, if you don't have true Christian joy, your relationships will have a motive. Why would you want that rich person as your friend? Is it because you want to use them as a ladder to step over to get something? Why would you want this poor person as your friend? Is it because you see him as an opportunity to rule over him because he is vulnerable? Our relationships have to be devoid of, it has to be very pure. And that's poor. And then, and then one of the best ways that you see Paul, how he received the offering was, he said a word of prayer for them. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul received the offering with a grateful heart and released the blessing upon them. So let me say this. Christian brother, Christian sister, whenever you have the opportunity to receive good, maybe it might not even come in an offering, it might even come in the form of a greeting. Receive it with an attitude of gratitude and release a blessing upon them. You can only do that if you have joy.
that is why it's important for us to really cultivate the fruit of joy. Because when you cultivate the fruit of joy, these things will become second nature. It will become second nature. You will receive any blessing, any gift, any offering with an attitude and with a heart of gratitude. And you will release a blessing. And that's what Paul did. Amen. So now we're done with the book of Philippians. He ends with, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. But especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We're done. The end of the book. I pray it's been a blessing to all of us. So the last lesson we have learned on joy is the motive with why he related with the Philippian church. It's not because they had a lot. He didn't relate with them too because they are vulnerable and he will have the opportunity to deceive them. He related with them because he really loved them. He didn't also relate to them because he needed money. Because if he truly needed money, if he wanted to be enriched, this is not the people he would have related. He could have related with Ephesus. They were richer. But he related with them because he loved them. Look at chapter 1 again. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making request of you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see why he related with them? Why? Because of their fervency in the gospel. This is why Apostle Paul liked them. He didn't like them because of status. And this ministers to me because Apostle Paul was used to fine things, high things. He was a Pharisee. Pharisee, they, they, they enjoy fine and high things. But you see, he's, he has downsized everything by choice and by conviction. And he's relating to people who might even have nothing, but he will relate with them. That's not how a Pharisee will relate with you. Pharisees love money. So they like to relate with rich people. Amen. So Apostle Paul truly experienced a conversion. And when he experienced a true conversion from his old ways, it was because there was the presence of the fruit of joy. That has been the bane of the book of Philippians. Amen. So I pray that we now understand joy. Build relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's how you'll be able to experience the fruit of joy. And when the fruit of joy begins to manifest in you, all these features we have read in the four chapters will become second nature to us. Amen. I pray that may God grace us to indeed be joyful Christians. And, uh, and that once we reach that place where joy is being manifested in our spirits, we will become influential 
in our society. God bless you. Oh, I said it in two minutes. Any question? So I want to know, how, did you like the book of Philippians? Did you enjoy it? What did you learn? There's our 12th installment. What have you learned so far? Anything? But I, I want feedback. Nobody? All right, let me pray and close the recording and then leave the floor open. Father, we thank you for tonight as we've come before your holy word. We thank you that your word has been a blessing to us. We have learned on joy. We thank you that we will be joyful Christians. We pray that this will cultivate a desire in us to fellowship with you, O oh God, through your spirits. And we pray that that we have learned from the pages of this book may it leap into our spirits and may we experience the manifestation of joy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Okay.